This podcast is brought to you by Podcast Nation. Hello, everyone. My name is Erin Trelore, and I am the host of Raw Beauty Talks. We're taking you behind the highlight reel of the world's biggest influencers and wellness gurus to get a raw glimpse of what beauty, health, and wellness look like in today's world so that you can feel your absolute best in your body and in your life. Okay, we are going to talk about two areas of health and wellness today that we have not discussed on the podcast. We're going to talk about SEX. I'm spelling that out right now in case your kids are listening with you. And so we're going to talk about SEX and money, mostly money. But as you know, I am obsessed with finding clean, all natural beauty and self-care products that actually work. And I found one to improve your SEX life. It's getting crazy. I found one to improve your sex life, and I've got to tell you about it before we dive into the whole money part. So this is my new favorite personal lube. It's called Woo More Play, and it's an organic coconut-based lube that tastes like a vanilla cupcake. I'm not kidding you. It is actually good for you. You can order it online. It gets delivered to your home in a cute, discreet little package. So if you don't want to talk about your SEX life on a podcast like I'm doing right now, nobody has to know. Woomar Play is definitely Scott's favorite sponsor of the show for obvious reasons. (laughs) But ladies... You do not need a man in your life to use this stuff. And as we head on into February, I want you to remember that you can woo yourself anytime. It is the essence of self-love. So if you're looking for a cleaner form of pleasure, I want you to visit woomoreplay.com and use the discount code RAW20 for 20% off your next order. That's woomoreplay.com and use the discount code RAW20 for 20% off. You can thank me later. Okay, today's topic is something that we don't always like to talk about, but that every single person in the world is touched by, affected by, thinking about, worrying about, maybe feeling abundant in. Today, we are diving into financial health and wellness, something that I feel is absolutely integrated into our wellness, but something that isn't ever talked about really in this area. So I'm so excited to have the founder of What the Finances and the co-founder of The Trauma of Money, Chantelle Chapman, who is joining me today. Chantelle is considered to be the money teacher of this generation, renowned for her edgy, relatable, and soulful, mindful money guidance. She's drawing on her influence um, from 14 years working in the mortgage industry. She just told me a hilarious story about when she had a meeting at one point with my husband that he was doing a presentation and apparently his phone started ringing. And at the time he had 50 cent playing in this like professional mortgage bank meeting. Anyways, there you go. That's not a surprise at all for Scott. (laughs) Chantel has spent 10 years as a financial literacy consultant and has done extensive research in addiction, trauma, behavioral science, and mindfulness. Her distinct disciplines make learning about money the antithesis of anything you experienced through traditional schooling. So Chantel, I'm so excited to chat with you today about our relationship with money, how mindfulness and our health and wellness intersect with that. And we are going to just dive 
right in here right now. Can you tell me to start off with a little bit about yourself, like how you got started as a mindful money coach and what that even is? Yeah, for sure. I'm so happy to be here, Erin, to talk about this. I love when you use the language like financial wellness and financial health because it really is so integrated into our overall well-being. And that's something that I did learn on my path as a financial literacy educator. My background is like I like you said in my bio, I was working as a mortgage broker, I was working as a financial literacy educator, and I find it to be very common with people who are, are working on something that they're very passionate about is that the path just like unfolds and something happens and then you slightly pivot and take a new direction. More information is revealed and you start, you start kind of like working on the next thing to, until all the pieces come together. And that's really how I feel my career has gone. And for me, it was, you know, teaching financial literacy education, working on my own relationship with money and noticing that some of the tools that we use aren't really sticking. They would be like superficial at best. I would teach a client about a new like cash flow planning system. They would be excited about it for a minute and then they wouldn't stick to it. And it was through my own experience in my own healing, I was actually diagnosed with PTSD. And I started doing a lot of work around trauma. And uh, someone in my family was in recovery for heroin addiction. And it just opened up this entire world of looking at behaviors and what impacts behaviors. And of course, because I'm a money educator, I started applying all this healing to money. And at that point, that's when I knew I needed to change everything that I was doing in my business and make the focus be about this like mindful money coaching. Wow. I love, love, love hearing when somebody's passion and their work comes so intimately from their own life experiences, right? Because I feel like when you're working from that space, it just lights the fire that much more because you've been through it, you've dealt with it, and you understand where other people are coming from. So tell me a little bit about your relationship with money and what that used to look like. Yeah. So my relationship with money, just like anyone's relationship with money, is quite complicated. (laughs) And (laughs) there's many layers that as we go deeper into the work, we kind of pull back and we start, you know, discovering different ways that we're influenced and different ways that we show up around money. So originally my relationship with money where it wasn't like, I wouldn't say it was healthy, showed up in my early twenties in the way of anytime I had any extra money, I would buy clothes or I would buy things. Nodding their head right now. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Or I would buy things to really like distract or make me feel good in the moment And, you know, that resulted in me having credit card debt and just feeling like this overall sense of injustice around the situation I was in. Like, how come I didn't learn about this? Like, why don't I know what a credit score is? And just having all these experiences of like, I made all these mistakes and now I'm dealing with it and I feel like I'm blindsided by it. That was originally my what I thought the big issue was with my relationship with money. So I learned everything I could learn about 
you know, how to fix this, how to be better with budgeting, how to improve my credit score and all that. And then I noticed that, you know, there wasn't much of a shift. And it wasn't until I actually went on the path of mindfulness and started realizing that, you know, some of these behaviors around shopping were just methods to distract. And it was methods to distract from pain or as methods to distract from boredom. It was methods to distract from feeling inadequate. And mm-hmm. what ended up happening, like prior to, it, to me getting deeper in the work, I actually stopped myself from the overspending on clothes and it shifted to food, which was really interesting. So basically making like every meal a distraction from whatever I was feeling in the moment. So that would be like going out to eat or that would be like, well, I need to eat right now. I'm really busy at work. I deserve to go and like get, you know, something at tractor to go or whatever. I deserve, you know what I mean? Like, and it just kept adding up, adding up, adding up. And as, although it wasn't as expensive as clothes, it was still like the same behavior showing up in a different way. And then it also like showed up around sugar too. So like just using sugar in the same way that I would use I just bought a new shirt. It was like the same pattern. So that was something that, you know, I had a major awareness around when I started doing the work around trauma and the work around mindfulness and addiction recovery as well. And then, so as I was working through all that, I started noticing some other behaviors in my relationship with money, which are so common that I see with so many women is this kind of like codependency element in the way they show up around money. So I am a recovering codependent. So I practice an addiction recovery program around codependency. And for those that don't know, codependency, I my favorite way to describe it is the dis-ease, so distance from ease, of the loss of self. Mm. And yeah, so... Someone who will have codependent behaviors, basically they're showing up in a way where they're prioritizing everyone's comfort or over their own because that's the only way they can feel safe. And the less I need, the more I'm worthy of love. So with these behaviors showing up, how does it impact my relationship with money? Well, what was happening is I was undercharging. I was afraid Mm -hmm. to raise my prices. I was constantly giving deals to people Mm -hmm. and I was basically exhibiting a financial disorder called financial enabling, which is where I'm like constantly buying my friends, like grabbing the bill and like paying for stuff. Oh, interesting. Okay. I've never heard about this and we've never unpacked this on the podcast episode. And I can guarantee you right now that people are like, oh my gosh, she's describing (laughs) me right now. So (laughs) it's a common one. Yeah. There's so much stuff that you're talking about right now that is common. And I feel like in this world of social media, where it seems like everyone has a new outfit every day and everyone's like going on these amazing exotic trips and they're all like 22 and you're like, how are they affording this? And then at the same time, we're also seeing, you know, all these people who by the time they're 30 are millionaires or like now we're aiming for billionaire status. There's, I think, a really warped vision of reality that is 
also further impacting our relationship with money. So we're going to dive into all of this in this episode. Let's stick with this topic of codependency right now. I've heard mm-hmm. of codependency in regards to relationships, like you always need to be in a relationship and you're uncomfortable being alone. So this concept of it being a loss of self, being unaware and uncomfortable in oneself makes sense to me. Can Mm -hmm. you dive a little bit deeper in explaining how codependency works with money? Yeah, for sure. So yeah, like codependency, we most commonly know, uh, know, like in the way of relationships, but The interesting thing with someone who identifies as a codependent is you absolutely see like they always need to have that romantic relationship, but you're going to see codependent characteristics show up in other relationships in their life, including how they show up at work. So for me, like as a codependent or as a recovering codependent prior to me, like realizing what was happening there were situations like where I was consulting for pretty large organizations and they would have meetings and I wouldn't be invited to the meeting because I didn't need to be there. And it was like a death to me. Ah, so yeah. Not being so, accepted in some way, not like being yeah. part of that belonging yeah. of that group. Exactly. Because when if someone is identifying as a codependent, they're not connected to self and self-worth. The external validation is absolutely everything. So how does codependency ex- impact your relationship with money? Well, my overspending on clothes was actually because of the codependency. Because the thing is, is every single time I went and bought something it made me feel like I might get some external validation. Mm-hmm. Right. 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 Or yeah. you might get noticed or you might be more accepted by yeah. this group. So yes. rather than doing what you needed in order to be financially healthy and well, there was an act there that was of codependent nature. But also tied into that is the shopping or eating out all of the time because in the moment it makes you feel better. Yeah. Our relationship with money, once you start exploring, it can be quite layered. I feel like codependency, the loss of self is the underlying reason. Underneath that, there's there's childhood trauma as well as continual societal trauma, like through Instagram and the world we live in. And then above the codependency is me not being able to handle the pain of disconnection. So the opposite of addiction is connection. So in a state of disconnection, it's so painful. I have to soothe myself. I need to do something hedonistic, like eat out, go buy something to just let me not think that I'm separate from everyone or separate Mm. from self in that moment. So how do we know if we are codependent versus... You know, buying a piece of clothing because we really love it. Is there a spectrum here that we're working with? Like, how do you know when there's a problem versus... Because what I find for myself is that when it comes to clothes, I get almost like an anxiety around buying clothes. Even though I love presenting myself in a certain way, I'm definitely not an overspender on my own clothes by any means. It's more the opposite where I'd love to have that freedom to feel like I can spend on myself in that area. So I'm wondering what's the line here of 
And let's just talk about it in regards to shopping and buying clothes of codependency versus the total opposite of not allowing yourself anything and everything in between. Yeah. So I love how you use the word spectrum. I think that's beautiful language to describe this. And I think, you know, I think it was Russell Brand who has said this before, like in this world that we live in, we're all on the scale or the spectrum of addiction. Mm -hmm. We are all on it. And it's because of how we're influenced in this world that we live in. I look at my life as like a constant it's constant refining of my consciousness. So when you look at everything as like a constant refinement, you see yourself on that spectrum. So I can easily become unbalanced and go too far to the codependent side, but then I can come back and become more balanced, right? So if we're looking at the spectrum for over shopping, the far end is I'm racking up debt. I'm buying all this, these clothes. I'm like completely addicted to the, the hits of this mm-hmm. pleasure. And then on the other end is I moved to the Himalayas. I've lived in the cave and I'm naked all the time. I have nothing. <laughs> right? so, yeah. Where, where do we want to be? I'm a monk. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) We want to be in a place that's more like neutral, right? And so how do you know if it's unhealthy? Well, I love how Dr. Gabor Mate talks about addiction and compulsive behavior. So he says, addiction and compulsive behavior is when you do things over and over again to increase pleasure and decrease pain, but it has negative consequences. So that's the thing. If you want to go buy yourself something because you love it, I think you should do it. And I think one thing that we need to do to empower ourselves is we need to reclaim our hedonism. Like we're allowed to experience pleasure in this life, but just don't let those pleasure hits be controlled by like narratives of Instagram or like narratives of trauma. Like do it because you appreciate the art of that went into that shirt. Do it because you feel beautiful in it. Do it mm-hmm. because you're reclaiming your hedonism. But don't do it be, because it's actually a way to avoid something or it's a way to feel like you fit in somewhere. So it's that's why I call myself a mindful money coach because it all comes down to mindfulness and like slowing down and really understanding what is the why of the buy. The why of the buy. Everyone needs to take notes. What is the why (laughs) of the buy? That is going to be your quote for this podcast episode. (laughs) We just nailed it right there. I absolutely love that. What is the why of the buy? And I just want to say, I've just drawn out on my notepad here, this spectrum. And at one end, I said, not shopping at all, monk status. And at the other end, I said, way too much shopping, debt, pain, da, 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 da. And then we have this middle space here. When I'm looking at this spectrum, and I hope you can imagine it in your head right now, I can see how this could, you know, interrelate with working out, with food, with alcohol, with all of these different things that are integrated into our health and wellness. So when we talk about alcohol, you could have, you know, not drinking at all, sober. You could have you know, addictive tendencies, drinking a two six at 7am in the morning. And then there's somewhere in, in the middle here where maybe you're allowing yourself whatever amount it is that's pleasurable, but it's not mm-hmm. 
destructive behavior. Same with food as well. And I think so often in health and wellness, people are trying to move us towards doing everything so perfectly, you know, not drinking at all, exercising seven days a week for one hour at the gym, lifting weights and the perfect combination of cardio and this and that. And like, you know, never impulsively shopping and buying yourself things for pleasure. And what I really want to encourage people in this podcast who are listening, and obviously every individual is different, but is to find that, that balance, that neutral place yeah. for yourself and whatever that looks like for your health and wellness. And that that's okay too, that that's how we create a life that feels really good and beautiful. Yes, that's so well said, Erin. And that's why I say like, for me, my practice is just being in a constant state of refinement, because I love the word refinement, because it takes pressure off me. Like, I'm like, I'm just like testing and refining. And my, um, my business partner in the trauma of money, she's a psychotherapist who specializes in trauma. Her name's Hiroko. She has a, a meditation school, and she calls it the lab of meditation. And I love how she uses that language because she always says like, what does it feel like to go in the laboratory of yourself? And Mm. that reminds me of refinement. Like if every, if this is just one big laboratory, let's test and let's pay attention to how it feels. And then let's refine and adjust when it doesn't feel right. Or let's remember when it does feel good. And and what's, what's the motivation behind, behind those feelings? Yes, I love that. And I'm remembering that what is working for us at one stage in our life might not work down the road. So there is no finite answer usually. We have to be open to exactly. that flexibility, which is why the refinement process, the lab, it's like you're constantly testing what is working for you. Fast forward to the end of 2024. Think of your goals for a second. What can you do right now to give yourself the best chance of succeeding? If you want to learn a new language, you absolutely should get Babbel. Don't pay hundreds of dollars for private tutors or waste hours on apps that really don't help you speak the language. Babbel's quick 10-minute lessons are handcrafted by over 200 language experts to help you start speaking a new language in as little as three weeks. Babbel's designed by real people for real conversation, and Babbel's tips and tools are approachable, accessible, rooted in real-life situations, and delivered with conversation-based teachings so you're ready to practice what you learned in the real world. If you're heading to another country, anytime soon, start using Babbel a few weeks before you go to learn basics like how to order food, ask for directions, speak to merchants without having to consult language apps while you're away. So fun. Here's a special limited time deal for our listeners. Right now, get 55% off your Babbel subscription, but only for our listeners at babbel.com slash raw beauty talks. Get 55% off at babbel.com slash raw beauty talks. That's spelled B-A-B-B-E-L dot com slash Robbie Detox. Rules and restrictions may apply. This episode is brought to you by Lola V, an award-winning hair care line founded by the fabulous Jennifer Aniston. Jen got tired of the same old struggle we all faced, choosing between hair products that work and ones that are actually good for us. With Lola V, that dilemma is history. We all put our hair through the ringer. That's why it's crucial to have products that not only repair the look of the damage, but also shield your locks from future harm. Enter Lola V's bestsellers, the Glossing Detangler and the Perfecting Leave-In Conditioner. They're your hair's new best friend. 
friends. For a limited time, you get 15% off your entire order at lolavie.com. Just use the code RAWBEAUTYTALKS at checkout. Lolavie is all about naturally derived plant-based goodness, no silicone, sulfates, parabens, or gluten, and of course, cruelty-free and vegan. That's 15% off your order at L-O-L-A-V-I-E.com with promo code RAWBEAUTYTALKS. You can only use one promo code per order and discounts can't be combined. After you purchase, they'll ask you where you heard about them. Tell them I sent you over. Pressing pause here for a moment. In case you missed it in our first episode of the year, my word for 2020 is strong. Strong, strong, strong. I want you to think about what your word is right now. So I'm taking a bunch of steps to help me cultivate this in all areas of my life, whether that's body, mind, spirit, and this one area of wellness that we often forget about, finances. So as Chantal and I were talking in this episode, something kept popping up in the back of my mind, like, Erin, you have work to do in this area in order to get strong. You are loving what this girl is preaching about. So I got off our call and I signed up for Chantel's online course, The Trauma of Money, which starts March 18th. The course is designed to help you deep dive into your own relationship with money, breaking negative patterns so you can live more abundantly. Now, of course, I felt like I didn't have the funds to cover this course, but that to me was just a big signal that I actually really needed to do it. So I cannot wait for it to start. Chantel has kindly offered a 10% discount to anybody who signs up with the code RAWBEAUTYTALKS. So if you're listening to this, also thinking maybe this is the year that I actually learned some tools to help me with my financial health, then it would be so fun to do this with you. Head on over to www.thetraumaofmoney.com for more information. Don't forget to use the code raw beauty talks when you sign up so that you get 10% off. We would have a blast doing this together. If you're not ready to sign up for the course now, keep listening to this podcast. She has so many amazing tools for us. Let's get back to Chantel. Okay. So I want to get back to this, this thing that you said, what is the why of the buy? How do we start to reflect on why it is that we're making purchases that we can't necessarily afford? And more importantly, when we know what the why is, how do we start making changes to our behavior when (laughs) it's obviously serving us in some way to act in the way that we are? Okay. Yeah. So I'll talk about it from the lens of shopping. So Let's say, you know, you're overspending and you're trying to practice the why of the buy. So first, my number one tip and the best tool that I give my clients is a practice of mindful meditation. So just tuning in and having the ability to slow down and pay attention to what's happening. So when we feel this like this desire to go out and buy something, if we already have a steady practice of meditation, we're already going to be able to pull that tool from our toolbox and be like, okay, I, I know how to slow down and see what's happening right now. So mm-hmm. asking myself, like, why am I going to the store right now to buy this? What's the purpose? Oh, well, I need a new shirt because I'm going to this event. 
why do I feel like I need a new shirt for this event? What's wrong with what I have right now? You know, just going through a series of these questions of self-inquiry, is there any negative consequences to this? If I buy this, is it going to take away from something else in the future that maybe I'm saving for? Right. Mm. So that's another, that's another tool we use. It's called opportunity cost. So if I do this now, what is it taking away from? And that helps you kind of get more out of like this grasping of, you know, like I have to just give myself this pleasure hit right now and just start thinking about like out more outside of that. Like I just need the pleasure and then tuning into the breath and just getting into the parasympathetic nervous system and slowing down and then making a decision to purchase from a place that is more rational. It's more grounded. It's not hijacked by a narrative. It's not hijacked by this deep grasping for pleasure. Mm, I love the idea of thinking about that opportunity cost because it requires you to move out of the now, the present moment that you're in, in that reactive state. And it requires you to think about the future and to move further along. I often talk about the two Ps, the pain and pleasure. And that often we will make choices to gain pleasure in the moment immediately. But that that decision to make, or as, as you said, so perfectly, your mind is hijacked and, and goes for the pleasure immediately. But that immediate pleasure hit, whether that's food, the shopping, the booze, weighing yourself, that immediate pleasure hit can result in longer term pain. Sometimes yeah. we have to make the choice that feels more painful in the moment, not buying the shirt, choosing the healthier meal rather than the quick hit donut, whatever it is, going for the workout in order to get the long term pleasure. So I love this idea of the opportunity cost because it forces us to start thinking about that more long-term view of how this is going to play out in our life, this momentary decision. Awesome. It's also like when you get into that state of connecting to, you know, something that you want in the future, we have to be careful that we don't grasp too much for the future, especially in the world of finances, because it could result in like what you were talking about. Like, I feel guilty to buy something. We don't want that either. Like, we don't want you to have shame for shopping, right? But what it is, when we say future, we're we're really talking about how are we connecting to things in your life that are meaningful? Mm. When you're looking at your finances and you get into the practice of opportunity costs, maybe you're saving for a down payment for a house you know that that's very meaningful for you. And you can be like, is this shirt as meaningful as this down payment for a house? Ah, I like that. I like that. Yes. I'm so curious about the balance of the not feeling guilty, as this is something that I struggle with more, not feeling guilty around buying something that you know is a more superficial joy, I guess, but that still brings you joy. Like when I'm wearing an outfit that I feel represents me, I feel good. Like it adds another level of confidence. And I'm just like, this is how I see myself going out in the world. Now, I know that's a bit of ego and a bit superficial. I'm still trying to navigate what is the balance of that being okay versus just like, (laughs) just like living as a monk. (laughs) Thanks for bringing that up. I'm going to 
tell you a story about, so I practice Kundalini yoga a lot. And one of the Kundalini yoga teachers in the US, his name is Yogi Bhajan. And this guy used to drive around in Rolls Royces. He was like covered in diamonds, like done up. <laughs> and people would say to him like, you are this guru and you're preaching like non-attachment and this, but then you're like driving in your Rolls Royce and you're like, you look like a rapper. And (laughs) 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 they probably didn't say that. That's what I would say. And uh, he goes, you know what? The outside matches the inside. And I just thought that was so perfect because when we are just like buying all this stuff, because on the inside, we're not feeling good, we need to refocus our attention on our self-worth and on the inside. If you are feeling great on the inside and you want to have an outfit to match how you feel on the inside, right? that's beautiful. Mm. Okay. I love this reframe. Because I'm feeling so freaking good on the inside. And I think sometimes in this conversation, especially when our company's called Raw Beauty Co., it feels like because we started with this interview series of women without makeup and photo editing and filters, immediately everyone felt like, okay, Erin's not into makeup and she's taking a stance of like, we shouldn't be spending any money on beauty or these things that get the superficial label. And I was Mm -hmm. like, no, 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 that's not what I'm saying. I'm actually just wanting to explore and understand women and where we're at more in regards to this Mm. relationship with ourselves and our wellness and our health and our beauty. And as I spoke to women who were makeup artists or fashion bloggers, you come to understand that this is this these women's form of creativity. It is their joy mm-hmm. and their passion. Like, who am I to ever say have that or don't have that? My purpose and what I wanted to create with this community and what I work to create now is to help women tap into their self and what it is that lights them up and to pour more time and energy into building those skills and traits and the happiness and joy and fulfillment that comes with that than worrying about the exact number that is on the scale or, you know, whether or not they, if you don't care too much about makeup, like don't spend an hour of your day every day focusing on that. And so I love this sort of reframe of matching the inside how you feel on the inside with what is reflective on the outside. And mm-hmm. it's such an interesting shift of thought and perspective there. I love how you use that example about just with your own career and how, you know, people's perception of like, oh, I should completely avoid makeup. I should avoid beauty. But, you know, it is some people's way of expressing themselves. And that actually brings another point up for me is harm reduction. You know, when we look at everything on this scale, there's certain times in your life where certain behaviors serve a purpose and then we grow from them. So even if you are feeling like shit on the inside, but it's going to get you out of bed to put on makeup and feel a certain way on the outside, that might be what you need in the moment. Just like if, you know, you're a recovering heroin addict and you need to smoke two packs of cigarettes a day, just to get through that recovery, 
you got to do what you got to do in the moment. But just remember, be on that path of refinement and know that that's not the state of consciousness that you want to stay in. You want to get to that place where the inside is really feeling as good as how you want to look on the outside. Mm, I absolutely love it. Why would you say so many women are struggling to feel in control of their finances in today's world? This is social media, fast fashion, our psychology, the busyness of our lives. Like, why are more people in debt right now than ever before? I think it's a combo of all those things that you just mentioned. So in our Trauma of Money program, we use the word trauma. And when people hear that word, they're like, oh, trauma, like something really big happened. And now you have trauma. But trauma can be something that happens to you that basically creates a narrative that impacts your behaviors. And it takes you out of like the reality of a situation. So in our program, we look at different layers of trauma, one being individual, relational, generational, systemic trauma, and then societal trauma. And societal trauma, you mentioned in your examples, like Instagram, in my opinion, is a form of societal trauma. We're constantly seeing these messages of this is how the ideal life looks like. And when we're, when we're in a state of you know comparison, we're going to feel elements of trauma. We're going to feel narratives that are created in our own lives that will impact our finances and put a lot of pressure on us. So I really think it comes down to the debt epidemic that we have, especially with women feeling like it's harder to ask for a raise and, and issues around the pay gap. I think it comes from like the traumas that we've experienced in our lives, including, you know, the, the trauma within society, the trauma from the world we live in, the trauma from systemic issues. Yeah, it's a big one to unpack, but it's just like, it's understanding that it's not all about like individual shame. Like you're not bad with your money because of something that you did. You're most likely not doing well with your money because there's some outside factors because of the experiences that you've had in your life that are creating some narratives that really aren't allowing you to transition into a mindset where you can be more in control of your finances. Mm. What are some of the most common narratives that you see women having when it comes to finances? What are the stories that pop up most frequently that sort of shape our relationship with it? The most common financial disorders that I see are financial avoidance and overspending. Those are the most common. So when someone comes to me, they're like, I'm an overspender. I have debt. I just don't feel in control of my finances. But as I work with them and we dig deeper, we start to see other patterns like, okay, you're you are overspending, but then we look at their their budget and we're like, you barely make enough money to cover your expenses and you're making this amount of money. It's an average wage. When was the last time you asked for a raise? Mm. Oh, well, I haven't really... Okay, well, here's an issue. Or how come you're charging this client this much and you haven't increased your prices over five years? Right. You know, like... Right. So then we start like pulling back the layers and see that it's not just an issue of overspending. It's also an issue of under earning. 
that's a big one. And then the financial avoidance piece is just, it's a behavior if either of those two things are happening. So those are the most common ones that I see with women. And it's just like with my own story. And, you know, you might feel like this too, Erin, as a coach that like, I personally attract people who have similar stories to me. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I'm seeing a lot of women <laughs> oh, yeah. who have like some codependency stuff going on that they haven't really realized that, oh, there is a name for this and it's called a codependency addiction. And as we start working through like some of the the narratives that are influencing them, a big one that I see with women is comparison. So comparing themselves to what they're seeing on the internet is massive. And then also um, how they grew up and like what their parents' relationship was with money. So many different factors. When you talk about financial avoidance, is that just like, oh, if I don't look at the spreadsheet, if I just like don't open that bank statement, then maybe it won't be there. And we'll just, somebody's going to come along and rescue me from this situation at some point or... Oh, like it's just too stressful and painful to look at it. Yeah, exactly. It's a common one. I can only imagine. And I think the thing is, so often we're not really taught this stuff in school. So people who are not comfortable working with numbers or Excel or, you know, there's so many programs online nowadays that can help support us in these things. It's just like, where do you even begin? Where do you even begin? And it's not as simple as just learning how to work a cash flow or how to put together a budget, because as you're talking about, there's layers and layers and layers and layers. So these episodes are never an advertisement for the guests or anything like that. But that is where somebody like you comes into play is to help unpack all of this and put together some sort of like a system or structure in regards to unpacking all of the emotional and psychological components of this, along with teaching the tools to help support someone in creating more financial health. Yeah, I I think it just you like you need a combination of both. It can't just be like, this is how you do a budget. You know, it has to be like, more of like a trauma informed budget understanding and just like having the awareness around like, why am I feeling this way? What do I do when these feelings come up? It's just really helpful. And I always say like, you need to work a program or you'll be programmed because we're very heavily influenced by the narrative of consumerism in North America. And when I am working with people, I tell them like, I don't care if you work with me or someone else, but you need to commit to your own program. And your own program means reclaiming your own hedonism. So reclaiming your own pleasure And that might be like, for me, that was a big one with um, my overspending was finding the same amount of joy in a sunset that I find in purchasing something. Mm. So noticing that I'm a nervous system and everything else is an external experience that impacts my nervous system. Right. So if if I gave that sunset the same amount of thoughts and emotions that I gave to buying that shirt, how would my nervous system react? And I started like, kind of playing around with this. It was a major powerful shift. So that's part of like creating our own program, reclaiming our own hedonistic moments and having a practice of gratitude is a part of that program, having a practice of meditation, having a practice of self-inquiry, asking deep questions. What am I? Why am I doing this? 
you know, where is this coming from? Whose voice is this? And this is all part of like what I tell people is if you really want to make any change with your money, you need to commit to a program. I'm very fond of like the recovery world because it's helped me so significantly with codependency. And that is very like work a program based. Right, right. It's like going to AA for this type of thing. I've never heard about somebody going through an addiction program for codependency, but I'm so glad you've talked about this. It's yeah, it's called CODA, Codependence Anonymous, but there's many lineages. You could go to like even like Sex and Love Addicts Anonymous is basically Codependence Anonymous. Like anyone who has like addictions to love and that's not just romantic love, it's basically like you're seeking external validation, that's going to be like codependency behaviors or adult children of dysfunctional families and alcoholics. That's another recovery program, which is basically focused in on like codependent behaviors. Very, very powerful. So there's quite a few options. Wow. Very cool. I always like our listeners to leave these episodes with a few tools that they can start applying to their life right now. I'm interested in this concept of reclaiming your pleasure and reattaching your pleasure response to things that don't necessarily cost $150, (laughs) like a sunset. Can you tell me a little bit more or leave everyone with sort of a couple of tools that can support them in doing this or just things that you think would be really helpful for our listeners who might be struggling with some of this stuff, which let's be honest, it's going to be about 97% of people listening right now (laughs) that they can take with them. The last thing that you said is I'm going to acknowledge as the first tool and tip is 97% of people struggling with this. You're not alone. Like you're not alone. Talk to people about this and open up and find connection because the opposite of addiction is connection, right? So that's the first one is connect and move away from competition and comparison and move into collaboration and connection and cooperation. The next one is really just understanding like the nervous system. When people ask me like, what's your wellness practice? I always say it's like cultivating the strength of my nervous system. And that comes Mm. in so many different ways that can come in meditation that could come in eating foods that aren't too stimulating for me. That could come in the form of physical touch with my partner. That could come in the form of nature, understanding that the way the nervous system works and, and knowing that we have this system inside us that is reacting to external experiences So once we see it like that, just test and be like, what happens when I look at this sunset? But I do it very mindfully. When I look at sunsets or things in nature, I can often tear up because I'm like, this is insane that this is this beautiful. And I get to stand Mm. here and look at it. Mm. You know, so when you start practicing that, that mindful connection with it, you don't feel like that deep desire for other hits of pleasure because you just have access to it through the practice of slowing down and gratitude for what is already there. Mm, I love it. It's so, it is so beautiful. And, and tying in that piece of gratitude is a really good starting point. 
in regards to attaching a new reaction to a specific thing that you're experiencing, whether that's the sunset or looking at a flower and like marveling over how it could be so intricate and perfect. And, you know, I absolutely love that. When it comes to just being mindful about how your nervous system is reacting, because this can be tricky at the beginning, because you are just reacting. A lot of people think this reaction is me. Well, this is just me. This is just how I react when somebody says that to me. Or like when I see <laughs> that amazing thing that's on sale, I just ha like, I have to buy it. This is just me. So using your breath, is that a starting point? Yeah. So one practice that I give to people I work with is to breathe in through the left nostril. So if you block your right nostril and you take mm -hmm. very long inhales through the left nostril and then hold and long exhale through the left nostril, just try that seven times when you start doing it. This is going to directly impact the parasympathetic nervous system and take you to a place of calm. So when we are in a reactive state, play around with that, like go into the laboratory of like, do I have the power to put myself in a calm state with my left mm. nostril breathing and yes. see how that is? Yeah. Yes. Okay. This is amazing. Such an, a great tool. So breathing in slowly, breathing out slowly, just through your left nostril, calming your system down and then making a decision from there versus just reacting. And you can actually yeah. do this in so many situations when you're starting to feel angry and like you might snap yes. at your kids when you're driving yeah. home from work and you're starting to get agitated when you're anxious before that exam, whatever it is, to take back control over your nervous system in yeah, some capacity. Exactly. Beautiful. I love that. I'm curious to know so you, you sort of described it here. When we talk about wellness, though, what does wellness mean to you? What does that look like in your day-to-day? -day? Yeah, so I, like I said, it's just it's cultivating the strength of my nervous system and finding different ways to do that. For me, having a morning meditation practice is so incredibly powerful. And it's something that has helped me get through some very, very hard situations. So my morning practice consists of doing like a little bit of pranayama, which is um, like different types of breath work. I often do the left nostril breathing in the mornings. And then I do, I meditate, I might do some kundalini and just have that time. And then throughout the day, I'm a, I'm a lover of philosophy and I love to just ask questions. Like, and it is really like, if you look at some Eastern philosophies and there's some lineages that practice this as part of their meditation is like this deep self-inquiry. Like, what am I? Where, who, whose thought is this? What is a mm. thought? Where is this coming from? My practice is more like it's comes from more of like the Greek philosophical path because that's I'm just fascinated by that. So I just practice that all the time, like just asking questions like, what is this? Like, what is, is this really reality? And that is a part of my wellness practice. You know, another part I would say is like, I'm not really big into physical activity and I'm just really trying to unpack that right now. 
I think for me, there's some like disassociation with the body that impacts my relationship with exercise. So I'm doing some work around that. But when I have been like, and we talked about that spectrum, when I've been very balanced, I really love yoga and I feel like I can connect to the body in that way. But again, like sometimes we're not balanced and it's just about like taking little actions, next right action to get to that place. So for me, it's just, it's a constant state of refinement and knowing what my tools are, having the privilege to have been able to use some of my tools and know how it feels. So when I do fall off the wagon, I can get back to that because I remember what it's like. Mm, I absolutely love that. I love, love, love it. If this is one of your last questions, it's never an easy one. (laughs) What is your message to women of the world? If you were going to die tomorrow and you could leave one message to women of the world, what would it be? You are worthy. That's what I would say. (laughs) That's perfect. You are worthy. Yeah. You know, because perfect. I mean, we often think that like, we have to do this to be worthy, or we have to do that to be worthy. But just like, understanding the miracle of like, who you are, just the fact that you look at how your body works. It's crazy. It's an absolute miracle. And your gift to this world is, is the fact that you're here and you're born and you exist. And that's enough. Like you're just worthy as is. You're welcome. That's what I think it would be because I think so many women, including myself, feel like I have to do this to be loved. I have to do this to be worthy. I have to prove this. And and it's just understanding like we're actually perfect as we are. A beautiful and true statement. And so many women are on the journey to really feeling and believing that themselves. So thank you for helping all of us step a little closer to that, to providing so many tools and so much insight. This was such a fun conversation for me. I definitely learned a lot. Where can people connect with you if they are interested in working with you or just following along on this conversation, your programs? Yeah. Where, where's Chantel at online? Probably best just to go to Instagram at Chantel Chapman. That's basically the landing spot for my different programs. Perfect. Perfect. Head on over there. Give her a follow. Slide on into her DMs and let her know how this episode impacted you. I would also love it if you could take a screenshot of the episode, share it on social, and even perhaps the most impactful, if there's somebody who you know or who you love in your life who could use some of the things that we've talked about today to sort of elevate their own life, click on the link, send it over to them, help us spread this message. It means the world. And as always, take everything in that you listen to this episode, figure out what works for you and for your life. We are all different. Different things are going to resonate and leave the rest behind. I can't wait to see you next week. All right, quick reminder that the Trauma of Money course with Chantel starts March 18th. This is an online course, and you can get 10% off using the code RAWBEAUTYTALKS at thetraumaofmoney.com. I will be doing the course. I will be there on those live calls with you. Go check it out. Mm -hmm. 
Do you ever feel like you're struggling through motherhood? You're not alone. I'm Erica Jossa, host of the MomWell podcast, therapist and mom of three. Join me each Wednesday as I sit down with guests, including psychologists, pediatricians, psychiatrists, fertility specialists, lactation consultants, and more to unravel the myths of motherhood. With expert advice, practical tips, self-love, and some coping skills to help you along the way, you can become the mother you want to be. Listen to the MomWell podcast at momwell.com slash listen or on your favorite podcast platform.